It's a pleasure to be speaking to you this morning. Um, I'm going to be speaking from 2 Timothy 4, um, and there are plenty of Bibles either side here. If you want to grab a Bible and and have it open, um, it's page 1197 in those green Bibles there, so feel free to grab and distribute those. Uh, If you're using a Bible app or or something else, then it'd be good for you to have it open this morning. Now, uh, this is... This is actually a passage that I've spoken on before, and you might have even heard me speak from it before, and there's a few very good reasons for that. In my personal Bible reading a few years ago, I came across this passage, and its contents really felt like cool, refreshing water to me. To me, reading this passage feels like it was written for this moment in our history, and I've always been astounded how something written 2,000 years ago uh, speaks with such accuracy about our current cultural context. It's like a, a surgeon with a scalpel's precisely cut right to the heart of our culture and has diagnosed what's going on. And it's amazing that we can find it in the, uh, the scriptures that we read. It's a passage that I've come back to time and time again over the last few years for that very reason. I've found it to be both a personal comfort and a gospel charge for how to live as a Christian. And so in speaking today's message, uh, I've called it the antidote to itching ears. And I want to use today's message to encourage us and to equip us and to introduce us to our next preaching series as well, where we're going to be taking a bit of a deeper dive into culture, into the world around us, the things that people believe, and how we as Christians are to respond to it. As a total aside, I also love 2 Timothy 4, because it's a wonderful reminder that our Bibles are full of real stories, of real people with real quirks. The letter was written by the Apostle Paul to, spoiler alert, Timothy... And uh, towards the end of 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls and my parchments as well. And I love this passage because it's the one for the forgetful among us, okay? Even Paul forgot his coat when he was traveling about and doing his work. Uh, It's a a great letter of instruction and encouragement and to even hear things like, oh, P.S., bring my coat. You know, it shows the kind of reality of the situation they were in when they were writing letters to each other. It's by real people for real people, and that's us. So I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to dive in. It says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So I want to start with a little bit of context to help frame our thinking. Timothy was very well known to Paul. Paul had known Timothy since Timothy's youth. He knew Timothy's family and they were incredibly close. And Timothy had become a real partner to Paul in his ministry. And here, Paul, who's likely imprisoned in Rome when he's writing this letter to Timothy, and Timothy's probably in Ephesus helping the church at this time, he's writing this letter to encourage him as he's facing trials in his own ministry and as he tries to lead the church there. And there's a real personal touch to this letter, partly because Paul's coming to the end of his ministry and he uses language in 2 Timothy that shows that he might know that he's coming to the end of his ministry as well. In verse 6 of 2 Timothy 4, he says that his time is almost near, which you don't tend to write into a letter unless you really are aware of it. And it's also partly because this letter is so intensely personal. From the greetings and the love shared with Timothy, who Paul refers to as his dear child, 
even the forgotten coats. This letter shows the affection between the two of them. Paul misses Timothy in this, which is likely his final letter, actually. He passes on his words of wisdom, this final charge to Timothy to help him in his work once Paul has gone. And it's these last words to Timothy that we can draw great encouragement from about what we're being charged with here in Poole in 2023. And I'm going to get to that in a bit. Back to the context, though, it's thought that the church in this period, which was about AD uh, 65, 66, was facing a number of issues, such as false teaching that was being spread by people calling themselves Christians. It might even have been this kind of early rise of Gnosticism, this pseudo-religion that diminished the role of God. And the people of, of the time were getting muddled in their beliefs and in their thinking. And as this passage said, they were more interested in what they wanted to hear than what was true. They were more interested in the things that backed up their own desires than the things that were actually true. We're also looking at a period of history where the Roman Empire loomed large under the Emperor Nero, and Christians were being persecuted for what they believed. And that meant that it also might have been easier to turn from Christianity and uh, towards other doctrines, because you might have done so to preserve your own life and to avoid persecution. So I want you to imagine for a moment that that's the culture that we're in. And you might hear people saying things like, well, God calls us not to sin, but this teacher here tells me that what I'm doing is fine. So actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with this guy, if that's all right. Or being a Christian is really hard. I'm, I'm being persecuted. I've got authorities knocking my door down. And this person says that I can have a life without persecution. So on balance, I'm going this way. They're judging their teachings not on whether what's being said is true, but rather... They're deciding what they want to hear and seeking out people who tell them that they're right. Like the passage says, their people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Bible commentator Philip Towner says of this itchy ear syndrome, this group has a curiosity so active and a craving for novelty so insatiable that they're driven to extremes and without any discretion for judging between truth and error. And so this passage is a helpful encouragement to us all to be discerning of real truth. That, and that's the truth that's found in the, the pages of our Bibles. And it's an interesting col- uh, comment on both the culture of the time that Timothy was ministering in and our culture today. And I think it's the reason that I've been drawn to these words so many times over the last few years and so comforted by them. It, they do, to me, strike right to the heart, to the very heart of what we as a society believe about truth. And so I want to take just a couple of minutes just to dive into our own cultural context as well before talking about the solution that Paul proposes to Timothy, the truth that we find in the word. So to our cultural context for a second, I don't know if you're uh, having the same sorts of conversations that I am at the moment, but how many of us have met people that think that God's real, but they can't quite commit to it because they don't want to give up their own lifestyle, Uh, that kind of uh, argument that, uh, you know, uh, you know I, th- I do believe that there's kind of some sort of God, but I think he's probably okay with me doing whatever it is that I want to do. I don't really think I need to go to church every Sunday to believe what I want to believe. That's kind of fine for me. You might have had conversations with people who are happy for you to have your truth and for them to have their truth. Yeah, uh, that's really great that you're a Christian. I believe this. I believe something else. And isn't it great that we can all kind of have these different things that we believe and all interact together as well? That's your truth, and this is my truth, and this is what we believe. But if everybody's got their own version of truth, then not everybody can be right, surely. Uh, I don't need to go to the doctors very often at the moment. It's been a little while since I've been to the doctors. So imagine my surprise the last time I went to the doctors to be told that people of my age need to start living healthier and eating better. 
people of my age. What does that mean, people of my age? Well, I thought I was young. All of a sudden, I'm being told, oh, there's no more junk food for you. People at your age shouldn't, uh, shouldn't really be eating junk food anymore. Uh, now, do you think I still eat junk food, or have I heeded the words the advice of my doctor? I think that's a little bit like what's going on here. We're being charged uh, by, by the doctors to, to eat healthily and to live strong and to be healthy in all that we do. But the junk food addicts don't want to hear it. They're going in search of the diets that legitimize their own desires. And the people that will tell them, don't worry, four chocolate bars a day is perfectly healthy. You can do that, no problem. And, and we're kind of seeing a little bit of that in the context there. And I think a little bit in our own context as well. But actually, it's not just about justifying a lifestyle. It's about a belief system that people hold on to as well. We've got people who believe what they want to when it comes to faith and gender rights and abortion and death and eternal life and social action and even what's reported in the news. There are people who believe that this is it. You only get one life to live, and once you've lived it, you're worm food. I actually have a friend like that, and I love him dearly, but our conversations are infuriating. Uh, You might know people that call themselves atheists or agnostic or say that they have a belief in science rather than in faith. They may be the sort of people who believe that life's about being a good person and getting enough ticks in the plus column that might just slide you into heaven and into eternal life that way instead. And I actually think our cultural problem goes even deeper than that. I think there's uh, there's been a real attack on what truth actually is in our current context. I can give you a couple of examples. Collins Dictionary declared in 2017 that their word of the year was fake news. That was the 2017 word of the year. And Dictionary.com's word of the year in 2018 was misinformation. Whether it's the misinformation surrounding Brexit that led MP Michael Gove to declare that people have had enough of experts. We don't need to believe experts anymore. Whatever we want to believe is fine. Or the lack of integrity of politicians who told us one thing whilst they did the other during COVID lockdowns. I think there's this real mistrust that's crept into society. So whether it's polarizing views around vaccines or new media outlets that have popped up because we can't trust the old ones to report the truth anymore. I think there's this real crisis in truth. And if we're distrustful of everyone and everything, then who or what can we trust? It's become a real problem, I think. When even sound doctrine and the things that we've previously been happy to call fact and truth are being dismissed in favor of new facts that play to our own desires then I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling a little bit anxious about what's going on in culture at the moment. And I'm really not here to stoke any cultural fires over our beliefs over vaccines or which media outlets that we prefer or make comment about which is right, but it seeks to highlight for me what I think that the issue in society is at the moment, this crisis in truth, where our mistrust has led to a a real vacuum in actually knowing what's right and what's true. And that's why I found this passage of scripture to just be like that cool, refreshing water that I spoke about in the, at the beginning. It's a real comfort as we've navigated this confusing climate that we're in over the last few years. And it's my hope that these passages can help us to hold fast to a firmer truth, a truth anchored in the creation of the world and stretching into eternity, that we've got the answer to that question whilst the world is still looking. I find it so comforting because when you read these verses, they were written in the first century, and you can see the accuracy with which they describe what we're seeing around us. I'm reminded that the problem that we're facing also isn't new. And that's a real comfort to me. We've been here before, folks. Actually, we even preached on it in a preaching series a number of years back. We went through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 says, What has been will be again. 
what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. If you've been in church for any length of time, that phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, has stuck in my head somewhere for years now. And it's one of those phrases that I keep coming back to when you see these things happen. There's nothing new under the sun. We've been here before. The issues that we think are new to us have been faced by people past. But the gospel has stood the test of time. And that's why I find these words so comforting. Because what is true for Timothy is true for us as well. In the first century, the gospel was diluted by people who wanted to share what others wanted to hear. People were ready to believe what was easy rather than what was right. Listening to teachers who were saying what their itching ears wanted to hear away from truth and towards myth. Another Bible commentator, Nick Page, puts it this way. To be faithful in such a society is to go against the trend. People will look for teachers who please them and hear what they want to hear. Even though it might not be popular, Timothy is encouraged to preach the message and to correct people and confront them with their sins. But the Christian message isn't just about pointing out what's wrong, it's about helping people find what's right. So if the problem in culture at the moment is that we don't know what's right, we don't know what truth is, that everybody's got a version of truth and there's no such thing as absolute, then how can we stand here and say, what is absolute? What is right? What is truth in that context? And I want to propose to you that the antidote to itching ears is the gospel of Jesus. I actually want to stop here and go back to 2 Timothy 4 and read these verses to you again. With that context in mind, here, listen to what's being said by Paul to Timothy here. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is the bit that I think is so relevant to where we are now, for the time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires. They'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn away their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Gateway Church, but you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge your duties, all the duties of your ministry. To a world full of itching ears, all too ready to believe myth over truth, the charge for the Christian is to be prepared in season and out, to preach the gospel, to evangelize, to encourage, and where needed, to rebuke. We all need to keep our heads and endure hardship. And why do we do that? We do that because Jesus is totally, totally worth it. He's Lord of all. He's the perfect judge who died and rose to rescue us, and his kingdom is at hand. It's only because of who we are in Jesus that we've got the authority and the endurance and the equipping to do what we've been charged to do and what Paul is charging Timothy to do here. And there's three statements in this uh, this short passage to Timothy that I want to just dive into very quickly just to help prepare us for how we might start to engage with culture on these important issues. And the first one I want to zoom in on is be prepared. Be prepared. It's a charge now probably most often associated with the scouting movement, Of course, uh, here in Poole, we are very closely associated with the scouting movement ourselves. You go for a walk down Poole Quay a little bit later, you can go and see a statue of Robert Baden-Powell right on on the front there. And I think the phrase, be prepared, I was a scout myself, and the phrase, be prepared, is about the only thing I can remember from my time in the scouts. That and I think one not, but don't test me. So it's it's kind of stuck in my head a little bit, but Robert Baden-Powell, who founded the scouting movement, he used that phrase very much on purpose. The motto was actually devised in 1907, and it was included in the published handbook, Scouting for Boys, in 1908. 
And in the book, Baden-Powell says of the motto that it means that you're always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. Always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. His idea was that his young recruits would be ready to respond to emergencies to do their duty of responding to the needs in society around them. And it's actually in the same spirit that Paul meant this phrase to be read by Timothy. If you have a look at the original translation, it's that state of preparedness. When he says, be prepared, he means to be in a state of alertness to opportunities to preach the word. Don't let your guard down. Be patient, but be ready. You never know where an opportunity might arise and where there may be a need to respond. So Paul tells Timothy to be alert in season and out. Be prepared, Timothy. The phrase in season and out of season that we find in this text might even sound a little bit funny to us, like be prepared in summer and winter or whatever. But it's actually probably better translated to be prepared when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. It seems here that Paul's encouraging Timothy not to worry about cultural convention when it comes to sharing the gospel, but to have an urgency and a persistence that requires the sharing of the gospel in all situations whenever possible. And like I said, it's a verse, this passage of scripture is something that I've been living with for a few years now. And it's something that I've thought about quite often as I've dwelled on these verses over the last few years, because my mind often goes to those opportunities that I've missed, the kind of clear openings that I've had to talk about my faith, whether it's kind of, oh, what you're doing at the weekend, somebody asked you at work and you're really ready to talk about Saturday, but not so ready to talk about Sunday. I'm hoping I'm not the only one who's sadly fallen into that temptation. And it can sometimes be easier to stand here in front of a room full of people who love you and care for you and talk about Jesus than to go outside and do it with the rest of the world. And so the charge to us in that context and when we see the culture around us is to be prepared. Be prepared when it's convenient and be prepared when it's inconvenient. We've got to be brave about this stuff, okay? The next phrase that I want to zoom in on is preach the word. Or later in the passage, it says, do the work of an evangelist. If we're to be prepared, then it's good to ask, well, what should we be prepared for? And Paul's answer is, be prepared to preach the word. In season and out, preach the word, do the work of an evangelist, that we might have these opportunities to preach the word. And when Paul um, says that phrase, preach the word, what he means is to preach the gospel of Jesus, to be evangelists, to tell people about our faith in Jesus. Of course, as we read our Bibles, we read and understand that there are instances where people are called preachers and called evangelists, and there's particular gifting that marks certain people out under this office or this role. But we must also understand here that this is an all-play activity. We might be gifted wordsmiths in different measure, but we're all called to share our faith with the world around us and to those who don't know Jesus currently. We want to see the gospel go beyond the walls of 502, don't we? I want to see my family and my friends come and sit alongside me on a Sunday morning, and I'm sure you do too, but it won't happen by accident. Nobody trips and falls into the building on a Sunday morning to get saved like that. At least I haven't seen it happen yet. And I'm not saying that God can't convict and draw people to himself, but it's far more likely that he's going to use us to do it, okay? And so the passage says we're to correct and rebuke and to encourage people to come and explore the faith that we've got as well. If we want to see God's kingdom come to Bournemouth and Christchurch and Paul and the areas around that we all live in, we want to see friends and family come to know Jesus, then we've got to be alert to the part that we have to play in it and to be prepared for those opportunities when they arise. Like I said, if itchy ear syndrome is the diagnosis, then the truth of the gospel of Jesus is the cure. And it's something that we all have. It's something that if you come here this morning to worship and give glory to God, at some point that gospel of Jesus was made irresistible to you. 
You call yourself a Christian because your eyes were open to the realities of who Jesus is and who you are because of it. And actually our charge is to preach the word in season and out, when it's convenient and inconvenient. Do the work of an evangelist. Take what we know and what we believe is truth and take it to the world around us who is desperate to hear it. But it won't be easy. And so I want to zoom in on one final phrase for us. And that phrase is to endure hardship. That's what Timothy's told to do by Paul. And in the culture of the time, and I think in our culture now, there's a reason that it's tempting to believe what's easy rather than what's right, and to take a stand and give a very definitive answer as to what truth is in a culture that's grappling with all different kinds of truth. It's got a very real possibility of causing offense. If you're in a culture, which I think we are now, where actually everybody can have their own version of the truth, to engage and to say, actually, I don't think that's true, this is true, that's an offensive thing to do. To say that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus is an offensive thing to say to somebody who doesn't agree. And for that reason, we're told to expect that hardship will come. China Inland Ministries had a pamphlet that they gave to uh, missionaries when they arrived in China that told people to be prepared to pray, preach, eat, or die at a moment's notice. If it were me, I think I'd read that pamphlet and hope for a little bit more eating and a little bit less dying. But... <laughs> But that's the pamphlet that was given to them when they arrived. Missionaries in the 19th century would pack their belongings into coffins for a one-way trip to spread the gospel of Jesus. Actually, these are extreme examples, but these people knew what it was to count the cost of preaching such a message, to declare absolute truth to people who perhaps don't want to hear it. And the Bible's really clear on this one, and especially through Paul's writings, that believing what we do isn't always going to bring health, wealth, and happiness. Sometimes it can be hard. And actually, Paul knew that all too well as someone who was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and run out of towns. Remember, he's actually writing this letter to Timothy from prison. He's imprisoned. He's using words like, my time is near. He's all too uh, aware of the fact that there's a cost to preaching and believing what he does. He's certainly aware that things aren't going too well for him in a physical sense. And so when this passage talks of people turning away from truth, the implication is also that they're turning away from those who are saying that truth. Timothy was to be prepared for this to happen as well, and we'd be wise to do the same. I'm um, probably not telling you anything you don't know here, but we're actually not promised the perfect life at the moment of, of uh, becoming a Christian. You're not promised that everything's fine, it's all going to work out fine for you, you're going to have all the money you need, it's all going to be absolutely fine, you'll never get sick, but we are promised a life of adventure and a life of love. It won't always be easy, certainly not physically, and I'm fairly certain there's not a single person here who could hand on heart say that it's been easy for them thus far. My life certainly hasn't been problem-free to date either. And if anybody tells you that your troubles are because of lack of faith, you can point them to this verse and tell them, no, no, we need to endure hardship instead. But Christian, we're to endure for the sake of Jesus, who endured the cross for us, that we might have an eternity of perfection to look forward to. So while hardship may come, we're equipped to endure because we may be physically hard up, but we're spiritually rich beyond our wildest dreams rich with a relationship with God to help us endure now and the hope of an eternity to come. What hardship might bring now, Jesus more than makes up for in what we inherit through him. And in the context of eternity, our troubles are only momentary as well. So over the next five weeks or so, we're going to be taking a bit of a 
deeper dive into the issues affecting our culture, issues like consent and shame and equality and more. And we're going to look at how these values in society have their roots in Christianity and the truth that lies in the gospel of Jesus. And my hope today was to open this subject up to you ahead of the next few weeks so that you can start thinking about the culture around you. What are people saying when you go into work tomorrow? What are people saying? What sort of truth do people believe? What are the things that you're hearing when you talk to people? What are those belief systems? And how can we begin to give them the good news of the truth that we have in Jesus? To be prepared to give an account for our faith. Like Paul says, to be prepared in season and out when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Not to hide away from those questions about faith when they come. As Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And as we spend time looking at our culture, we must first fix our eyes, not on what's temporary, but on what's eternal. For Christians, our identity is rooted in Jesus, our saviour. The hope that we have through Jesus is a relationship with a faithful God who fulfilled his promise to restore his people into right relationship with him. And it's a relationship that we can enjoy now to sustain us and encourage us. Even when hardship comes, we've got one that we can go to for encouragement and strength. And it's a relationship of hope, of an eternity and a future in blissful, perfect unity with God. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, then please let me be clear about this hope that we profess and the truth that anchors us through the winds of culture. God created a people to live with him in unity, and the wrongdoing that's entered the world separates us from that unity. And God sent his son to live on earth, to die on a cross, taking all that we've done wrong, so that instead we can be seen as he is seen. Perfect. And anyone who believes in the saving power of Jesus, anyone, regardless of background or upbringing or political leaning or cultural difference, receives adoption into God's family and all the benefits that come of it. That's the truth. That's what we believe. That's what we want to share to the world around us. So Christian, Gateway Church, it's your charge to live in that identity, to endure and encourage and tell the world about the hope that we have. We're to be prepared Let me read that passage one more time. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's great that we've been able to spend time appointing deacons even this morning. There's a call there for our deacons. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Do it well for the glory of God, that people might come to know Jesus whilst we're here. And if you're not a Christian here today, then there's an invitation for you to believe in this truth and the hope that it brings and to receive a new identity in the family of God. This is true. Millions of people around the world believe it to be true. It's something that we hold fast to that gives us hope and assurance That no matter what the winds of culture might say, the ups and downs of life, we can anchor ourselves in the truth of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus has stood the test of time through hundreds of years of changing culture and belief. And we can have assurance that this truth that stood will stand for an eternity. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews tells us that. 
We've got a solid, firm foundation, an identity set in who we are in Jesus. That's the truth we have. That's the hope we profess, and it's our charge to continue to do so, to stand firm, keep our heads, be prepared.